Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by CastBox. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app where you can find all of your favorite podcasts, and it's available on both iOS and Android. You can listen to Sacred Symbols via whichever service you choose, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think they're pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, episode 22. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by pumpkin pie eating Chris Raygun. 
How's it going? I don't like pumpkin pie at all. No? No, pumpkin's a pumpkin you shouldn't eat pumpkin. Oh. Pumpkin's not something to be eaten. It's like a it's a display fruit. It's it is weird. Or vegetable, whatever the hell it is. You know the cornucopia? The cornucopia thing? It's like the the Yeah. The horn with the yeah, like that gross ice cream cone looking thing that looks like uh, exactly. some kind of Guillermo del Toro thing. Ex- that's exactly right. But it has gourds coming out of it and like apples and what have you. Very Northeast. A gourd. You're not a fan of butternut squash? Not really. No, you're not a fan of... No, that whole thing. No. That, that whole like yeah. phylum of whatever the hell it is. No. Good word. Whatever the... I don't even know. That's probably not accurate. I just like the way it sounds. Yeah, well... I, I, I can have, I was telling Aaron this yesterday, I can have pumpkin pie on average 1.5 times a year. I'll have pumpkin pie. So, you know, it's fine. You put a little Cool Whip on it or a little whipped cream. I don't know. I don't mind it, but I certainly didn't have it. In fact, I made my homemade gravy or, you know, sauce for you non-Italian people for Thanksgiving. And I just sat and watched football. So it was fine. What did you do for Thanksgiving? Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? We didn't really do anything. We had, we, we, me and my roommates have uh, a chicken's giving. Oh. Uh, tradition on Black Friday, just because at that point everybody's bought all the groceries anyway, and all of them are like really marked down. So uh, we just go out in the be- in the morning and grab a bunch of food and cook it on Black Friday because why not? Nice, yeah. Black Friday happens to be Aaron's and mine my anniversary. Not this Black Friday, oh, really? but the twenty seventh. Weird. Uh, November twenty seventh, two thousand fifteen, is when we started dating, and that was Black Friday. And so we actually are going to go out to a nice dinner tomorrow, the day that this actually podcast goes live. But I always thought that was weird, too. Is it ominous? Is it consumerist that our, <laughs> our anniversary is Black Friday? I don't know. But it is our, our anniversary nonetheless. Now, I will give you a shout out for doing chicken, though, because as much as I feel like turkey has been disparaged a great deal in this 21st century, I think chicken is the better meat. Chicken oh, yeah, is the course. superior meat. And I enjoy it a great deal. And so I like that tradition very much. But I hope all of you out there, if you're American, had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're not American, that's... I mean, it sucks for you. That's unfortunate, (laughs) I suppose. But no, thank you all out there for supporting our show. Hope everyone had a wonderful long weekend here in the Americas. Or I shouldn't say the Americas. It should just say the United States. Played some games. I certainly did. And you saw family, friends, and all of that. And for all of our friends and fans and listeners overseas, I hope you're all doing well out there as well. Chris, this episode, I don't know if this episode will be long or short or a normal length. There's not a lot of interesting news going yeah. on this week. Yeah, we lost the drop, apparently. Yeah, the drop isn't drop. there. So someone's slacking surprisingly at the PlayStation blog. There is no drop this week. And so I can or we can't read out the names of the games that are coming out. I know games like Darksiders are coming out. Super Life of Pixel is a game that a friend of mine is actually working on that's coming to PS4 and Vita this week. But yeah, we don't have that. So that might truncate the episode a little bit. But I've injected much like you might inject a thanksgiving turkey mm-hmm. with various things garlic cloves rosemary etc i've injected the show with a ton of reader questions and we call them reader questions even though you're obviously not reading that's a good theme it's a good theme there colby dennis wrote into us as you can and by the way the show is supported on patreon patreon.com slash collins last stand you can get early ad free access by supporting us there three days early and you're able to submit questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas like colby did colby said dear colin and chris Black Friday has come and gone, and with it, the retail worker's nightmare. This brings to mind some of the more insistent customers I've had to serve in my time as a server. Do either of you have some fun nightmare jobs from the service or retail industries? Keep up the good work and continue sacrificing all the infants you need or want to. I'm sure they have it coming. (laughs) Chris, I know that you worked retail. I've worked in, I guess, service industries and food, but I was kind of younger. Yeah. I wanted to throw this one out there to you to see 
if you had anything interesting to share for us at this, at this oh, yeah. present time. I worked as a merchandising and customer assist at Sears, which is a, an entirely fake job title. What it means is you go there at 6 a.m. and you put tags on things. You're the grunt, basically. But I remember there was I was working Black Friday. And it was horrendous because I worked Thursday night, Thanksgiving Thursday night, from like 7 to 3 a.m. Then I came back at 6 a.m. until 2. And then I worked the next day at 6 a.m. too. So I, I quit, needless to say. But I remember there was this one woman who tried to buy some cardboard craftsman display because it had... I guess somebody got lazy with ticketing and just put like an extra price tag on the back of it. And somebody's like... Hey, this has a price tag on it. it. Means I can buy it. It's like no, you can't buy. That's not the how that works at all. It's, right. What? I, I don't know why she won. It was like five dollars for a piece of cardboard. It was like a. She was getting ripped off regardless. What was it like working in retail, especially at Sears? I mean, is in bankruptcy now, but at the time, obviously, they weren't with you. What was it like working at a place like that in the kind of the decline of the business? I mean, when you're I, how old was I? I was like eighteen or mm. seventeen when I was working at Sears. So it's already a decline right. as a teenager working at Sears. Like, you're not going to run into any cool people at Sears. How did you get that job? Did you apply or did you know someone? A friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine uh, who actually moved out here a couple weeks ago, got me the job there. He did you a huge favor. Did me a huge favor. Yeah, Sounds I got to work like... at Sears for a whole year. Andrew Mendoza wrote into us also on Patreon and said, hey, Colin and Chris, did either of you take advantage of any Black Friday or Cyber Monday deals, either of your, for yourselves or as gifts? Good day. He signed his letter, good day. Good sir. day. Did you do anything on Black Friday or this is site? We're recording this on Cyber Monday. Did you buy anything? Because I actually didn't buy a goddamn thing. No, I, I couldn't think of anything that I gave a shit about <laughs> enough to buy, especially to go out for, you know? Well, I bought on, I think Black Friday, I bought Erin a laptop, like a new laptop. But then she had, it's a whole thing where I'm afraid of buying her gifts sometimes without telling her because I'm afraid that you know, she, she might not like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's getting really into photography and she's using my beautiful camera to take photos and I wanted to get her a camera or a computer rather that she can dump her photos on and stuff like that. And then I was going to get her photography classes. And it was that last part where I'm like, well, I don't want to do that because that sounds like a backhanded kind yeah, of, well, 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 not only that, but then it, it requires her to go to, she didn't pick the teacher or anything like that. So I had to like yeah. let the cat out of the bag and be like, all right, this is kind of the plan. This is what I'm doing. And she was like, that's really great, but she needs a new phone. So I'm going to buy her an iPhone instead. So eh, that works out. I technically did not buy anything. I yeah. canceled. I guess I, t I technically, I, Bought on Amazon, it's like some weird display modules that you can swap between uh, screens on streams really easily. That's like some kind of TriCaster right, right, thing, right. you know? But it, it wasn't like, there was no deals for it or anything. I just thought like, oh yeah. You just happened to I buy it I just happened to day. buy it on Black Friday. Understood. You know, I was lamenting, I guess, really is the right word. I was lamenting that I didn't see as many or a, as much of a volume of Black Friday ruckus slash melee videos that you usually see <laughs> rolling out on social media beginning, actually, Thanksgiving evening and into the next day. I yeah. only saw a few. I saw two women at Target. One of them had a, this other woman in, like, a crab hold on the ground and were, were kind of tumbling around. I saw these other people ripping televisions out of this box. Giant enemy crab hold. Exactly. Giant enemy the crab thing hold. I feel like Black Friday in general, especially the whole like doorbuster thing is kind of it's not nearly as prevalent, I think, because Amazon is so convenient and we're getting more of our stuff digitally and like no one's going to bust down the, the walls of a target for the Scorpion King 2 <laughs> Rise of a Warrior specifically on Blu-ray, you know, to save three dollars. Yeah, to it. save three dollars. 
I never understood the deals either. It's like, ah, 40% off. Like, if it's 90% off, yeah, I understand right. trampling people. We can get a 4K TV for 100 bucks. I've, I've long said this, and I know that people want to save money and people live close to the vest or whatever, as it were, or, you know, nah, man, even when, I was the, even when I was the most destitute. No, I watched the same <laughs> way. When I was poor as shit, I still didn't do any of this kind of stuff. And I'm not necessarily judging people for doing it if you want to save or whatever. I just feel like it says a great deal about our society, and it's nothing positive. There's not anything positive about Black Friday in terms of the, if its reflection on American society, which is so weird because Thanksgiving is such an awesome holiday. I know that it has yeah. nefarious roots for some, but nonetheless, it's a way to show thanks and get, you know, I sent out Thanksgiving cards, for instance, this year and tried to write little notes on the back room for people and stuff. And yeah, and those, were, next, those were nice. Oh, yeah, you, you yeah got, they were nice. Yeah, yeah. Did you like the card this year? Yeah, I did. I was I was shocked that I received something in the mail that wasn't a bill. Right. Yeah, there you go. It's nice. Yeah, that's why I asked you for your address. And then you you can tell, by the way, that you don't give out your address very often because I know you live in an apartment building <laughs> yeah. and you just gave me the address that I, I messaged you back and I'm like, do you not have a unit number? <laughs> you, I, you know what I figure? I figure people are going to ask that and then for that's my automatic kind of autopilot mode is like, I'll just give them the address and then they'll ask for the unit and then I'll give them. I don't know why I just don't add it. <laughs> An extra step. I'm a psycho. But nonetheless, I hope if you guys were out there Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that, that you guys got some good deals, but... I don't like this consumerist nature of American society, although I am a capitalist. Now, Chris, we discussed last week, and I want to kind of lay the foundation for this before we get into the show itself. We're not going to miss any episodes this coming holiday season. We're never going to miss an episode or a week of the show unless one of us is deathly ill or something like that. And even then, if like I went into a coma, I would expect yeah. that you probably would try to do the show without me and vice versa. Right? Yeah. We're not going to let the people down. We can't let them down. And so we talked last week about how I'm going on vacation, you're going on vacation different times, so we're going to have to kind of double up some recordings. This is kind of the way I think that the episodes are going to roll out so people know, mm -hmm. and I have it written down here. On December 11th, so I think the week, the week before that, so next week, we're going to do a normal episode. December 11th, we're going to do an episode all about our most anticipated games of 2019. Chris and I will each pick 10 games coming out or scheduled to come out in 2019 and discuss them, and I'll solicit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience for that. On Christmas, an episode is going to go live that will be our favorite moments of the last year. We'll pick through that, and again, we'll have plenty of interaction with the audience. And then on January 1st, I was originally going to do the Game of the Year episode, but I'm actually going to do a solo episode. Chris is going to be gone in New York that week, so I'm going to do like a solo. Maybe I'll do like a little bit of a fireside chat-esque, very laid-back, relaxed kind of yeah. reader submission kind of thing. But then January 8th, we're going to do our Game of the Year episode, and we're going to do that. That week, that gives us enough time to play everything that yeah. we want to play and be fair. And I'm really excited. Chris and I were discussing ideas for the episode and how we kind of want to do it. I'm super stoked about it. I mm -hmm. think it's going to be a lot of fun to do it the way that we're going to do it this year on Sacred Symbols. And maybe it'll set a tradition for years to come that we'll continue to do it in a more unusual way. <laughs> Tyler Malter wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, you guys have talked about your personal games of the year and ideas around them. What are some interesting ways to choose game of the year that you have seen in the past? If you had to do a unique game of the year selection, what would you do? I have thoughts about a game decathlon where you score games on certain aspects. And at the end, the highest scoring game wins the year. I'm curious generally how you feel, Chris, about game of the year as we still kind of get to know each other on this show and how we're going to do the show and hopefully the long time to come. I'm yeah. curious how you feel about game of the year awards generally because I've always had a huge problem with them. Where I just feel like it's very reductive. It's not really, it doesn't tell you enough because there are certainly games of the year that are not quality. You know, like I would argue Fortnite is probably the game of whatever year it came out in just because it's so prevalent. But it's not my game of the year by any stretch. So it's pretty nebulous, it feels like. Yeah. 
it's like scoring games. But I don't understand fun. that either. It's a fun conversation to have regardless, even if the moniker is ultimately completely meaningless. Yeah, exactly. And that's why like, I want us to both choose our favorite game of 2018 when the time comes. But that's why I also want to just give out random awards. We're going to get to all that when the episode comes in a little over a month from now. I already now. got mine picked out. It's Doom 2016 again. Whoa. Best game of 2018. 2018. 2016 edition. Or best game of 2016-2018 edition. Mm-hmm. Let's get into what we're playing. Chris, what have you been playing recently? We've both been playing a lot of games. I've had a surprising amount of time yeah. to play games. So how, what's going on with you? Uh, I've been doing a lot of Tetris Effect. It's strangely relaxing to me. <laughs> also, Tetris is like the best game ever, so like I can't not play it. I really like it. I still think the price is ridiculous. It's what is it? Forty? It's forty dollars. Yeah. Didn't even go down for Black Friday, right? I don't think so. I didn't look, but no. The only I don't game think that went down was Fallout. Did you play it on VR or did you play I didn't, it? No, I don't have a PSVR. Is it out on PC for me to? I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it is. Because I, I have a Vive, but uh, no, I haven't tried it in VR. I don't even really understand how it would work in VR or like what the purpose is. Do like the crazy graphics surround you? Is that the idea? Like it's a 3D kind of... So I little, guess you wouldn't know either. Cause I'm a little embarrassed to admit this actually, because last night I was watching a show and playing something. I was watching football, whatever it was. And Erin has actually been playing it in VR in oh. the living room. And she's like, dude, you got to play it in VR. I'm like, you got to play it before you record your show. You have to see this in VR because I've been playing it just, you know, yeah. standard. Whatever. No, me too. And I like it that way. But she's like, it is unbelievable. And I was like, yeah, I'll plug it in before Chris gets here tomorrow. I'll plug it in and play it and just get a taste for it. And obviously that came and went. So I didn't get a chance to do it yet. <laughs> I do agree that the price and we've lamented this. It's the second time we've used lament in this show so far. It is too expensive at $40. I yeah. think $30 would have been an appropriate price, $29.99. Yeah. But I don't necessarily not recommend it at $40 if you have disposable yeah, that's, income. That's the thing. I've been playing it a lot, so it's hard not to to be like, avoid it. Because it's good. It's a good Tetris game, especially okay. if you, you're into that kind of like very gameplay focused kind of thing. And it is very entrancing and strangely relaxing, even though like at certain points it gets like incredibly stressful because it picks up speed at random. But yeah, I've been playing that and I've been playing Hitman 2. I really like it, even though I can't figure it out. I don't understand anything about it, but I'm having a blast. It's so complex. I think that from a design perspective, I haven't played it. Aaron's been playing it. <laughs> Interestingly, you and I have been playing the same games. It's such an impressive game from a design perspective. I really am so enamored with that. It looks like shit compared to a lot of the games that we're playing today, which is what really... Yeah. I mean, I don't. that's a little bit of a strong word. That's a little bit hyperbolic. I was surprised after playing Red Dead and some other games and then turning that on. That I was like, wow. Yeah, the graphics, it's it's <laughs> weird because it looks like the graphics aren't particularly great at all, but it comes across as more of a style to me. Because the Agent 47 doesn't look like a PS1 character. He doesn't look terrible. He just doesn't look real. But I'm not sure if that's the point or not. It sounded kind of like you said Asian 47. Oh, did I say it, Asian 47? It, it, it sounded, no, you didn't, but it sounded I hope like not. That. Jesus. <laughs> But no, it's a, it's a really good game. It, it's got a lot of like really fascinating and quirky bugs that I really like. Have you seen the videos of the briefcase? No. Tracking people like really slowly around corners. <laughs> it's awesome. But uh, there's a lot of like interworking systems in that game that are like really fascinating to me. And I, I found myself getting really in the thick of it with it. Like actually like trying to be patient, like waiting through these like eavesdropping and like it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. But there are certain points where you swear to God that you're choking somebody out out of people's line of sight and for some reason some guy saw you through like a corner of like three leaves so the the level of realism is something that i'm still trying to figure out because right. i don't know how realistic it is or how realistic it's trying to be 
because there are certain points where, hey, I can just crouch and be as suspicious as possible in this disguise, but they'll see me through like a molecule of space. I remember from 2016's Hitman, the same thing, like being at like this very ornate fashion party and just kind of acting totally conspicuous, but no one, you know, and shooting someone in that and just leaving. Yeah, but ultimately, like it's it's a lot of fun and you're playing the most suspicious guy on the planet. <laughs> he's a bald, he's a bald six foot ten man with a barcode on the back of his <laughs> on the back of his neck. How many people got that barcode tattoo, you think? Uh, probably a lot. Yeah. Probably a lot. Is it a specific barcode? Like, has anyone figured that out? I wonder. I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine by now it probably is. Yeah. They probably established some kind of thing. Maybe it's the barcode for the original game or something, which would be pretty cool. Because they're all supposed to be unique. That would right? be kind of cool. Yeah. It's That's cool kind of a wild. Doing. Barcodes are kind of interesting. That's a pretty old technology, and we still use it today. There's that famous thing with, you know, George H.W. Bush. You probably don't remember this. You weren't born at the time, but I was barely cognizant either. But right. Where he goes to a supermarket in the 1988 election to, like, you know, be with the people. And he's shocked that people are scanning groceries. And it was, like, this very pristine moment of, like, wow, this man is totally detached, has not bought his own groceries in a long time. Because he was like, wow, people don't ring you up anymore on the, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's so a, weird. Yeah, it is. I've been playing Chris Spyro, mm-hmm. Reignited Trilogy, and I've platinumed both Spyro 1 and Spyro 2. Well, look at that. So... I don't know how I feel about these games. I think they're fun. Yeah. It's just fun to collect things and dick around a little bit. That's kind of the point of them, I think. I'm just skipping all the story scenes and like not really paying attention and just listening That's to fine. podcasts. I'm just cruising through podcasts as I play it. That's so, entirely fine. I think That's, it's perfect for that. It's a nice uh, turn on and just kind of listen to other things kind of game. What do you think of Spyro 2 compared to Spyro 1? Well, it's funny because without having the context of the originals, really, and them all being built in the same engine with the same aesthetic, it's just as if it's the same game. Really? So, yeah. Well, I mean, just graphically, it just feels yeah, like it's no, the, there's, a lot there's the, nothing different about these There's games. a consistent through line of uh, visual consistency. It feels like one big game, I guess is what I'm saying. It does, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. But like, uh, there's a lot of like little control things in Spyro 2 that I really appreciate, like that little triangle yeah, the hover. Hop-up. I hate it playing Spyro 1 without that. I was like, I can't do this. Sorry. No. Next. I hear that Spyro 2 is considered by Spyro fans the best one. It's my personal favorite. The third one gets a bit bloated. There's a lot of mini games that aren't particularly well designed at all in the third one. It's still great. I like it. Uh, You're the Dragon, which is, I I believe, the third one. But 2 is just, I don't know. 2 is a nicer, more concise kind of game. I'm going to get to 3, I think. I'm probably going to stop now and maybe move on to other things now that I'm not. You know, because that was great for... I think the reason I was able to cruise so easily through Spyro and Spyro 2 is because there was so much football spread out (laughs) on Thanksgiving and then on Sunday that I just sat there all day with two TVs and just watched football and, and did my thing there. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The other game that I wanted to call out before, because I want to talk about Fallout 76 in a pretty deep way today. But before I do that, I wanted to call out another game. Erin had brought out the VR unit. As I said, she was interested in playing some stuff. And we were looking at the games to download and play. And I'm like, eh. We were looking at that game, Deresene, that we talked about a few weeks ago, which is that From Software game, which I still want to play. And there's a few other titles. But we saw and what caught our eye was that game Moss, which came out earlier this year. It came out in like February of 2018. It's about... Is that the mouse one? Yeah, it's about a mouse, a female mouse named Quill. And she goes on this little adventure. And I sat down 
Erin played it a little bit the night before. She works as an ER nurse, so she works weird hours, so we're up at different times often. And I woke up the next day. It was all hooked up. So I sat down on the couch and played, and I played and beat the entire game in one sitting without taking the headset off at all. That game fucking rules. Really? That game is awesome. Huh. Really, really, really great. It's $30. It only takes a few hours to beat, so you really have to get involved in the idea that VR games are more experiential and they're just going to cost more. You're not getting a 50-hour experience necessarily for your $30 investment. But I found it so cute, so quirky. It's basically like a platformer with some light combat elements and some puzzle-solving elements. But you're kind of adventuring through this landscape that was once clearly used by humans that have all killed each other. And so, like, you are walking through, like, this little area, and then it kind of pans back, and there's just, like, a sword stuck in the ground, like a rusty sword, but you don't see it because you're so close up to it and you're so small. Right. Or, like, you're walking through this thing, and then it ends up being, like, a huge plate of armor that you're, like, walking through in this swamp or whatever. That's cool. It's super cool. It's super cute. I was talking to the devs a little bit on Twitter. They're working on a sequel. They set it up for a sequel at the end. I highly recommend it. I don't know that I would necessarily buy PSVR for it, but I think for $30, it's a cute, a cute investment, especially for... Younger gamers, although I don't know how appropriate PSVR is for younger gamers, so that's kind of the yeah, that, mm-hmm. conundrum there. I don't know if it fits on them. I don't know if it's good for their eyes. So, you know, obviously consult with a doctor <laughs> before you play Moss on PSVR. But I really, really enjoyed it and highly recommend it and will certainly be in the game of the year discussion for me. Now, let's talk about Fallout 76. I was surprised. Did you Have you been playing more of it? Because you have been, Chris, on Twitter, one of the advocates that I've seen that are talking the game up a little bit as opposed to shitting all over I mean, it. I'm providing balanced commentary, I find. Like, it's getting a lot of hate, and I think a lot of it is pretty justifiable for the price that they're asking and the state that it's launched in. But I don't think it's necessarily entirely valueless. The biggest mistake they made was just not calling this early access. They actually straight up could have just been, hey... Here's a, a multiplayer Fallout experiment that we're working on. It's not ready, <laughs> but it's still far more stable than a lot of early access games are. So, hey, here's uh, Fallout 76 multiplayer early access. We're going to keep working on it and making it better. They could have avoided so much by just being a little bit more transparent with it because it's, it's so obvious playing it that that's what it is. And in that context, I enjoy it. I like the map a lot. I like a lot of the enemies that they've put in, like, the West Virginia folklore-based, and, it, like, there's a giant hermit crab that's, like, taking refuge in a, in a bus. And there's a lot of, like, really creative ideas about that. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the terminals and in audio logs. But the problem is it's billed as a multiplayer game, and I don't know how effectively you can play a game with your friends where the entire narrative is delivered by each player individually sitting at a computer terminal and reading pages of mm, lore. That's or, interesting. Yeah, and or, or even just, like, listening to... A, Uh, audio tapes with your friends talking in the background the way that they've decided to structure the narrative is completely at odds with the point of the game so interesting i never i not that i've read extensively about it but that is a super interesting wrinkle that i had not considered yeah it's this weird thing where a lot of people are playing it solo and having a better time because it's just it is better solo it just is like it's frustrating to wade through all this information with people blabbing or like it's just it's definitely more of a single player game but it has nothing it doesn't have any of the things that a traditional single-player Fallout game would have, like, you know, proper NPCs that you can... Even simple things like dialogue choices or, mo- or branching paths or a distinct effect on the world that you're in. So it just feels like it's not done. What's there I like, and I wish the combat was better, <laughs> uh, because it's, it's definitely... They definitely did not bother trying to integrate this engine into a multiplayer space. 
because there's a lot of weird oversights, like the fact that there's like eight different menus to just navigate a very simple thing. Like there's the Pip-Boy menu and then there's like a secondary Pip-Boy menu. And then to open the settings menu, you have to open the map and then open the, a, another menu. It, it's it's a mess. There's vats in it? There's vats and it acts as basically an aimbot. It just kind of auto-aims onto things, which is fine, but it's also kind of useless because oftentimes you'll be surrounded by swarms of enemies and an aimbot just kind of, it's more disorienting than anything. So I don't really use it unless I have to. It's a very weird mess. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm kind of intrigued by it. Like, yeah, the more I read about it, it's not only this divisive nature of it, but it reminds me, we've talked about the division. It reminds me a little bit of Mad Max in the sense of the way people describe it, which was not a multiplayer game, but it reminds me of Avalanche's Mad Max in that it was so desolate and so lonely that that was kind of what made it cool. Like, that's what I liked about Mad Max was I was like, this is totally like, there's oh, nothing here. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I like about 76 too. But I'm also in that rare, I would consider myself as far as a game player. I'm in a very small percentage of that group of people. I'm the kind of person who will sit down and read through several terminals full of lore because I'm interested in it. Even uh, an FPS like Halo 3 back in the day, I would sit and I would hunt for all these like terminals that gave you stupid, dumb insight on lore that has nothing to do with what you're actually doing in the game. I like that stuff a lot. And I like audio logs a lot. But I know the majority of people, and this is why I kind of understand where all the hate is coming from, most people don't want to do that. And I don't blame them because, quite frankly, the time that Fallout 76 demands of you is just not worth it. As far as, like, the story goes or as far as any of the terminals go, it's interesting to me, again, because I'm in that small minority of players, but it's just, it's not enough to hook the majority of people. It's interesting that they try to do something different with the franchise, but it's what is at the heart of the franchise that is still pulling people in, despite their best efforts, probably, to make something different. It seems like this thing was ill-conceived at the very best and needed a lot more time to incubate at the very worst. And I did see an interesting point from some people, which I think is true. Mm -hmm. First of all, this game is already like half off or so, which is catastrophic. And I know a lot of people are saying like, well, it's Black Friday and all my guys. That doesn't happen. The game came out from the time of recording this like 11 days ago, and it's already like $34. Yeah, that's not that's not a normal thing, even for Black Friday. Horrible, horrible. The game must actually be bombing really bad for them to do something like that. And I would be, first of all, really upset if I paid $60 for it and then saw that happen. Oh, yeah. Number one. And a lot of people did, and I would be super upset about that. But someone made a good point, or a few people that I've seen on Twitter and social media have made good points that Bethesda still somewhat seems to be getting a pass. Or what I really should say is that this is the first time they're really dealing with blowback. And someone had written, I saw it retweeted, I don't know who it was, saying, like, imagine if this was an electronic arts game. Imagine that EA released Fallout 76 and the reaction that people would be giving it. And... It brought up an issue of fairness, I think, that we give certain, and I don't mean you and I, I mean just we generally, the royal we, the royal as we, we talked yeah. about a few weeks ago, <laughs> that there's just kind of a pass or kind of a, oh, well, that's Bethesda and they don't always let us down and stuff. But this seems to be the first time that they are really dealing with something bad. And it's their lowest scoring internally developed game, I think, ever. It's just not cute anymore, <laughs> I guess is the only way I can put it. Back when Skyrim came out, I loved it, even with all the bugs, because it offered me something that I couldn't really get at the time, which was this really immersive first-person role-playing experience. And, you know, Fallout 4, I still got hooked into it, just but I have a feeling just the Fallout 
lore and atmosphere of that game did a lot of the heavy lifting for me because that game is still pretty dated. But even with, you know, the dated engine and the bugs in that game, there was meat to it at the very least, and it wasn't the most unstable thing ever. This, I think, running on Bethesda's really old framework, combined with the fact that it's a multiplayer game from a studio that's never made a multiplayer game before, at least internally, is just from a stability standpoint, is just like a just a clusterfuck. It runs so poorly. I'm impressed by how poorly it runs, even by Bethesda standards. So okay. I mean, I yeah, I don't think they're <laughs> I don't think they're getting a pass this time. Do you encounter people in the game? regardless like is it a thing where you can't avoid doing that kind of like the division or something where or is it something where you can be like just shut off shut it off i'm in this world by myself because i know that there are like nuclear explosions and all sorts of shit that it seems like you probably get wrapped up into regardless of how you want to play i'll be honest i might have i've probably sunk maybe eight or nine hours into it total i haven't really experienced too much with other people you can't shut it off as far as i know you can't just like load your own server i would love that that'd be so much better uh, but you can't do that as far as I know. But it's a very small percentage of people, or not not percentage, it's a small number of players on the map at any given time. And they're spread pretty thinly, which I like a lot. So you don't have to interact with people. You can fight each other? Yeah, but the PvP system's weird because it, it works kind of like on this weird kind of tag system almost. Where to initiate PvP with you, I have to shoot you, and then you have to shoot me back. And then that initiates... Oh, so I can ignore it in other You can ignore it, but like, but I, I can... If I hit you enough, even if you don't retaliate, I'm still going to like chip away like a little bit. It's only when you retaliate to me that you do full damage. The problem is, <laughs> if I want to initiate a fight with you and I hit you, and then you hit me, your hit does PvP damage. Oh, so there's no benefit to initiating the combat. No. Interesting. <laughs> and there's no benefit to winning either. There's no there's no point to it. It's just there because Seems like oh, it's just in the game because that would make sense. That players would probably shoot each other. Let's just put that in. And there's no incentive Jeez. to do or even avoid it. So That sounds great. Yeah. It's sounds, weird. It's a mess. Like a, sounds like a fun time for all. Now I have a few questions here I wanted to get through that the or the readers, as we like to call them, the listeners submitted sure thing. on patreon.com slash Colin slash Sam, like you can. And Stephen Hand wrote into us and said, Hi Chris and Colin. I was looking for your take on Fallout 76 and Bethesda, specifically with Fallout 76 getting savaged by fans and critics. Do you think Fallout 76 needs to be pulled in a similar vein as the first iteration of Final Fantasy 14? I am enjoying the game more than I thought I would, but calling it half-baked is very charitable. If Fallout 76 flops, as it seems to be well on its way to doing, how much damage does this do to Bethesda's reputation and bottom line? Thanks, and keep up the great work. It's interesting because people had brought up Final Fantasy XIV, Chris, but people had also brought up Evolve, which is obviously a Total Rock game that came out some years ago that mm -hmm. found its audience, I think, in a greater way, actually, than Fallout 76 did, but then quickly waned and turned into a free-to-play game eventually. Yeah. And I wonder if there's some sort of similar trajectory for Fallout 76. I'm not sure that this is going to be incredibly damaging to their bottom line. It's existing on, or it's built on existing infrastructure. It doesn't seem like they put an incredible amount of time into it. And there's marketing, there's ads for it on TV that I've seen during football. But I don't know if they're going to lose money on it. I would assume that they probably would. I think they could probably absorb that. I, I mean, I think they are. If, if it's half off, I'm like a week later you know sure I mean? but it's also about like the monetary investment like for all we know that they spent almost nothing on this game so i i don't yeah. i don't know but there is an upkeep on the back end do you see that this game might follow a similar trajectory of either being reborn a realm reborn as they called final fantasy 14 which people fucking love now people love final fantasy 14 in its new iteration or something like evolved you or i kind of feel like with all the competition fallout 76 is just gonna become a very niche game and then eventually disappear i think so too i think that not only because of all the examples we have prior 
of games doing that, but also just Bethesda themselves because they don't really seem to patch really any of their games heavily is what it kind of feels like. So I don't I don't really foresee them turning this around like other studios have done. Like uh, what's that Rainbow Six? Game? Oh, Siege. Siege. Great example. Siege got off on a really bad foot. Because it, it was coming off of like a graphical downgrade conspiracy, which it, it did. Like it went through a, an intense graphical downgrade. Like I would argue Watch Dogs tier. Same downgrade. publisher, not a surprise. I Same suppose. publisher. But people love that game now. You know, Bunty swears by it. He plays it every day. Um, yeah, he's always playing that game. Yeah. Apparently it's a really solid game. I haven't really tried it myself, but I mean, there's a lot of games that do that. They get like a second win. I know No Man's Sky is kind of seeing that now, which surprised the hell out of me. Because a lot of people talk fondly of that game now, which was... <laughs> Not even remotely predictable a year ago. No, definitely not. They, um, they turned it around. But they turned sure. it around. I just, I, I really don't think this one's going to turn around. Just based on the publisher and the, and the developer's prior history. Well, my take on it, to your point about how the game is already so severely discounted that it must be chipping in severely, in, or significantly rather, into their bottom line, that there isn't that height that they reached. Like, I think Siege sold respectively. It's, oh, yeah. It's just that... Or respectively, it's just that people didn't stick around with it. And the same thing with these other games. This just seemed to have totally stumbled out the gate. So it doesn't seem like there's any carrot at the end of the stick for them to continue with this. Although I guess we'll find out. Jonathan Thomas wrote into us and said, hello, fellas. What's with all the review bombing? Tomb Raider, Pokemon Let's Go, Fallout 76, and now Battlefield 5 have all been victim to this. And then in comment sections or message boards, if you are not bashing the game and say you like X game, then you are ridiculed, called a shill, and laughed at. I am enjoying Fallout 76 a lot, but won't go on Reddit to say that because I'll get downvoted like crazy. I know this is not new, but with today's outrage culture, how can people and sites like Metacritic combat this? So what he's referring to is I think the Metacritic score, the critic score is like in the fives, which is terrible, but... I think the user score for Fallout 76 is like in the twos. Yeah. It's and like that really indicates a game that simply does not work or is not playable, at least in my eyes. And you do see this a lot. How do you feel about this? And especially since you've been talking more positively or at least neutrally about the game, have you been experiencing any feedback from people being, you know, annoying about that? Because I've seen that back and forth, although you and I have cultivated a better audience than that. I yeah, think. no, I, I've been pretty open about what I like about it and what I dislike about it. I think there's value in it. I don't think they should have sold it at the price that they sold it. I've been pretty, I would say... As objective as I can be, because I can acknowledge that I like certain parts of a game, but I can also acknowledge that objectively it is just a technical mess and really shouldn't have been put out in the state that it was. So, you know, I haven't really been flailing with blind praise. You know what I mean? I don't like the way people talk. I don't like the commentary around games generally. I don't like that people can enjoy games or not enjoy games and just do that in peace. You know, I used to get into quarrels even with people in my life back in the day and got into some heated arguments with people that I used to work with about... Like, why do you care what I play? I don't come into this office or into this place or into this restaurant or sit at this yeah. table and say like, oh, you're playing, why do you like that? It's like, what do you care if I'm spending time playing X? Do whatever you want. And I think that that's the general kind of relationship you have to have with those around you is to just spend your time the way you want to play. If you want to play fucking Stardew Valley for the rest of your life, by all means, yeah. I think that's perfectly fine. Not a great example in terms of that's a great game, but... It doesn't really matter what other people think. If you're enjoying it, then enjoy it. If you think Fallout yeah. 76 is the best game you've ever played, there is someone out there playing Fallout 76 that thinks it's the best game they've ever played. And I don't think that that's necessarily an invalid thought. You know, I think that yeah. it's just, it's all relative. It's just totally subjective. It's If it's subjective, it's subjective. If game criticism that's is true. subjective, then it's subjective. We can talk objectively about the things it's lacking, its fidelity, all that kind of stuff, but the experience is totally subjective. That's true. I, I would I would say I would say there's value in the experience, but again, they really could have avoided a lot of this if they just were just open about it. Early access would have been fine. 
I think there's a way to do that on Xbox. There's obviously a way to do that on PC. I don't think that would have been an option for them on PlayStation, which is unfortunate, but true, you know? Mm. So yeah. well, we'll find out how it does over the weeks, months, and maybe even years to come. Although I am interested to see if they can salvage it or not. I don't think they're incredibly concerned about it ultimately because they have other things to move on to, which is what Cameron O'Neill wrote into us and said, Hey guys, my question is in regards to Fallout 76 and the larger picture for Bethesda Game Studios. Have Bethesda Game Studios put themselves into an impossible position by announcing tons of games and not giving themselves any time to react to the Fallout 76 reception? From my perspective, it seems Bethesda needs to re-examine some things. And with the announcement of Star Citizen and Elder Scrolls 6, I'm not sure they will have the time. I think that with games like Cyberpunk on the horizon and others... I don't think that there's an incredible amount of excitement about Starfield. I don't think there's an incredible amount of excitement about Elder Scrolls. And I think the reason for that is they announced it so early. We've seen nothing about it. They did it to combat potential problems with Fallout 76. This game has just created yeah. a massive amount. Of, they should have just maybe never made it and just been like, we're just going to move on to the next thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel the same way. It seems like this was just uh, a colossal misread into their their core audience and what people actually wanted. And a little bit of greed, too. Now, I don't blame ZeniMax and Bethesda for getting greedy. They're, business. They're a business. They want to make money. Yeah. And they see this vibrant online ecosystem with lots of money to be made and people sticking around and playing a game. But would have been fine if they made a functional online exactly. game. Exactly. I just don't know. And it's very confusing. It seems like Bethesda doesn't have or isn't firing on all the cylinders it once was just a few years ago. The height of Bethesda to me in terms of excitement and people really being in love with them was really like 2015, 2016 with Doom and with Fallout 4 and all that kind of stuff. And obviously there's great stuff on the horizon. I'm excited about Rage 2. I'm excited about Wolfenstein 3. I'm excited about all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting. I'll be interested to see how they come out of this. Starfield is is the next thing, right? I yes. believe. That needs to be insane. That needs to be mind-blowing. <laughs> Whenever we see it, we'll yeah. see. Let's get into the news, Chris. It's time for us to get into the news. I think there are nine items this week. Yeah, not much. No, not much and nothing of great weight, but let's be very thorough as we always are here on Sacred Symbols. Number one, October's NPD report is out chronicling game hardware and software sales for the all-important American market. For starters, the best-selling game across platforms for the month of October was Call of Duty Black Ops 4, followed by Red Dead Redemption 2, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, NBA 2K19, and Super Mario Party. Other notable titles include Soul Calibur 6 at 6, Spider-Man at 8, Lego DC Super Villains at 12, Shadow of the Tomb Raider at 14, Grand Theft Auto 5 at 16, and Diablo 3 at 18. On PlayStation 4 itself, the top 10 best-selling games were in order across both digital and retail. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Red Dead Redemption 2, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Spider-Man, Soul Calibur 6, NBA 2K19, FIFA 19, WWE 2K19, Madden NFL 19, and My Hero 1's Justice, which is a Bandai Namco kind of nerdy anime game. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 and Red Dead Redemption 2 are already the two best-selling games of the year so far with Far Cry 5, Spider-Man, and NBA 2K19 following in the 3rd through 5th slots. God of War, Monster Hunter World, Madden NFL 19, Grand Theft Auto 5, and Call of Duty World War II round out the top 10. October's software sales in America were the highest for the gaming industry since records began being kept in 1995, 4 on October, and PlayStation 4 was October's best-selling console. Indeed, PlayStation 4 sold more units in October than any PlayStation product since PS2 in October of 2002. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so... Big month for PlayStation. By the way, this show is above all else, and I think a little bit of our own detachment, certainly my own detachment. Call of Duty is huge. Call of Duty outsold Red Dead Redemption, which is significant. Activision doesn't make a lot of hay about that like Rockstar does. And Call of Duty is already the best-selling game of the year after only being on the being on the market, I think, for like two weeks at the time that this was counted. So yeah. really wild stuff and shows 
a few things, some encouraging, some discouraging. Encouraging, I guess, for Call of Duty fans, this, just, this series still goes, it's still popular. Discouraging, campaign did not matter. Did not hurt the sales at all, mm-hmm. whatsoever. So a little disappointed in that front and hope that this doesn't set a new narrative for Activision to just begin avoiding that, making a Battle Royale slash multiplayer game. Ruben Barrett wrote in us and said, Hi, CNC. A report was just released that video game spending was at an all-time high, and now more than ever, video games feel as mainstream as anything else. What do you think has caused this meteoric rise over the last few years? I should correct myself. The spending was at an all-time high, not just for October, but for month-to-month basis for NPD. Why do you think people are spending more money on video games than ever? This is really interesting. It's actually great news because it looks like gaming is democratizing even more and spreading itself out. Does that count microtransactions? Presumably, it counts all digital sales as well as retail sales MPD is supposed to. So I would assume so because I it's would, about spending. It's not about right. Game so sales. I would imagine that that has a pretty decent amount to do with it. The fact that a game is now kind of infinitely monetizable after it's out has a lot to do with it. the fact that the general audience like I, I feel like games have been they've been pretty mainstream for a while now. I, I feel like especially like the fact that in 2007, Halo 3 was on the news for weeks. And it was like the biggest, we've had these things, like the biggest entertainment launch in history of all time and like up until this point. And it, people have been paying attention for a while. I think now that it's it was more okay for kids to be interested in video games in like the early 2000s. I feel like they've had younger kids grow up with them. And it's, it's interesting that it happened in October because I want to see if November with Black Friday sales and people getting ready for the holidays and all that kind of stuff could possibly surpass it. We might be seeing just some sort of well, a lot, ha- a lot ar- came out in October also. That's true. Like a lot. Yeah, Red Dead and Call of Duty are big games. Yeah. But we see some sort of trajectory, some sort of arc, hopefully, at the end, the tail end of this generation that I think is very positive for the economics of gaming. And I guess does call on the question whether we really do need new consoles or not, because these things continue to move. Switch, like Mario Party, the fifth best-selling game of October on Switch, Switch is a very underpowered machine. It doesn't seem to matter. And now Pokemon... Is out. It's not a mainline Pokemon game, but I'll be interested to see if Switch is actually the best-selling console of November because of that. If it isn't, you know, and Smash Brothers, by the way, comes out too soon. It already yeah, has leaked. December 7th, I believe. So I'm very intrigued watching Switch's trajectory in November and December because they thought they were going to double their sales, I think. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, but we will see. PS4 continues to dominate. Yeah, it's crazy. Number two. PlayStation 4 exclusive Dreams is officially really actually going into beta. Whoa. And it's happening before the end of the year, according to Sony-owned studio Media Molecule. What? Word comes by way of the developer's website, which notes in passing that the beta will come out, quote, later this year, unquote. Dreams beta was first promised for 2016 and then 2017 and again in 2018. So it seems like they will make that third window and we'll look forward to getting our hands on it and seeing what it's all about. That's interesting. Will you play the demo? Yeah. Or the beta? A little bit. Very briefly. I had like really barely. I, I I was just figuring out the controls, and they were like, "Move." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I guess I'm I guess I'm out." Oh, at E3, you're saying? Yeah, at E3. I've still I don't think ever gotten hands on with it. I have no interest in it, none. But I'm gonna rely on you <laughs> to play it. You're gonna be the one. Okay, that plays I'll the play game. it. I will. I will. I will play the beta. And when the game comes out, I'm gonna rely yeah, on you. I'm interested too. in it. I just don't care. I hope it does great. It I looks, hope I'm totally It reminds wrong. me of like a game maker, you know, like a game maker game, but like a proper engine. It's kind of neat. But is it's a very niche game. I don't know how they're going to market it. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's cool. There are games like RPG Maker and Fighter Maker. I had stuff, a game but... on the PS2 that like let you make music. I don't remember what the hell it was. What the hell it was called? It had like an awful cover. It was just a bunch of colors and lines. Trash. There I are... just felt like I just felt like bringing that up. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> but I just do not believe. 
that there is a market for people that want to make games by buying a game and playing a game to make a game. It I think I think there is, but I'm curious as to whether or not that market is big enough to justify the cost. We'll see. That's, the, that's the, the question, I think. There's yeah. a market for everything. There's a market for people who like reading computer terminals while their friends scream at them in the, in the, in the background. That's true. Although apparently not a very big market for that either. Yeah, but it's there. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number three, remember the PS3 exclusive Rockstar game Agent? No. That was announced but never came out. Well, it appears that the company has finally abandoned its trademark, all but killing any faint hope that the game would see the light of day in some format. Agent was announced at Sony's press conference nearly a decade ago at E3 2009. We saw literally nothing from it since apart from some vague quotes. VG247 broke the news that the trademark has been abandoned. The trademark now reads, quote, this trademark application was refused, dismissed, or invalidated by the office, and this application is no longer valid, end quote. While the website points out that the game was supposed to come out exclusively to PlayStation 3 back in 2010, it obviously never did. But interestingly, the game's website is still live on Rockstar servers. The text on the site says, quote, Rockstar Games is proud to announce Agent, developed by the people behind Grand Theft Auto, Rockstar North. Agent will be available exclusively for the PlayStation 3 computer entertainment system. Agent takes players on a paranoid journey into the world of counterintelligence, espionage, and political assassinations during the height of the Cold War at the end of the 1970s, end quote. That was one of the games, one of the time periods that you wanted to explore, interestingly. Yeah, that's interesting. From a few episodes ago. VG247 also mimics another interesting quote from the time of announcement via Games Industry International, in which Ben Fetter, who was take Two CEO at the time, the game's publisher said, quote, the game, like anything from Rockstar North, is going to be very, very cool. It's going to push the edge. It's going to be genre defining, and it's going to be a whole new way of experiencing video games that we haven't really seen before. They're the best development team on the planet. We have a lot of respect for Sony. We have a lot of good business relationships with Sony. The PlayStation platforms are best suited for the title. Oh, well. Quote. I can't believe that we have never seen anything from this. No one has ever said anything about it. Yeah. Is there even like a gameplay? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything. Leak? Maybe there's screens or something. I don't think so what's interesting is that it was announced in june of 2009 set to come out in 2010 so it must have been somewhere deep in development maybe even an alpha by that point and it must have been horrible i mean that's like my only theory yeah. about it is it must have been awful for them to just straight up pretend it doesn't even exist like literally never talk about it again you know i don't understand what happened there and who will finally tell us the story it'll be a big story when that comes out i think yeah i'm, re I'm super curious about this because i entirely forgot about this. I remember just being like, it was a big deal that, you know, 2009 was a year after 2008's Grand Theft Auto 4 came out. Rockstar was kind of on a high. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the rumor was for a long time that like, oh, Rockstar owes Sony an exclusive game and stuff like that. And it's like, why? Well, well because they, I guess it didn't deliver agent. And I'm like, you're assuming what the contract said. Yeah, that's weird. I wonder who was publishing it. 
and all of that. There's a lot of questions to be asked about it, but no answers. And I've asked in the past, I mean, much closer to 2009 than we are now, and I got no answers. So I can't imagine I'm going to get any answers now if I asked anybody. Number four, Red Dead Redemption 2's online mode, Red Dead Online, is set to enter beta very soon. Indeed, by the time you hear this, you may be able to play already. Beginning on November 27th, the day this podcast launches on Patreon, any players using the Ultimate Edition of the game can start playing. On November 28th, those who played the game on a launch date can enter the fray. On November 29th, anyone who played Red Dead 2 in the first three days after launch can start playing online. And finally, on November 30th, everyone is in. So by the time this beta hits public feeds, Red Dead Online will be available for all. Remember, though, this is a beta and almost certainly doesn't represent the final online product. Interestingly, the press release for the announcement notes that the game can be played online, but entirely solo. So that's pretty interesting. Huh. So you can go online and play it by yourself. Are you going to jump into Red Dead Online? I actually might. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm really curious about it. Also, I just like Red Dead Redemption, so any excuse I have to go back to it. Exactly. And I fear, obviously, I don't think we're going to get a single-player DLC, so that's about the most yeah, that we're going to expect. <laughs> Number five, Kingdom Hearts 3 has officially gone gold. Yeah, okay, sure. Word comes by way of the official <laughs> Kingdom Hearts Twitter account, which notes, among other things, that the team has, quote, wrapped up development, end quote. Kingdom Hearts 3 was announced way back at E3 in 2013 and was in development for quite a time before that. It's finally due for release on PS4 and elsewhere on January 29th, 2019, with the Japanese launch coming four days earlier. Chris doesn't believe it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this game to come out. So that way I cannot hear about it anymore. I'm kind of tired of hearing about it myself. I've been so actually physically sickened by how much I've heard about this <laughs> fucking game. Actually for real. No exaggeration. No meme here. Genuine. I'm sickened by the nature of the game. I mean, we've talked about this ad yeah. nauseum, and I will continue to beat the drum that there's something deeply unsettling about Kingdom Hearts. Deeply, deeply unsettling. It's like waking up and seeing a clown right in your face. It's that unsettling. It just got so annoying watching watching E3 for so many years, and then every every year you'd see Kingdom Hearts 3, and then everybody would lose their minds. They'd be like, oh my god, that Sony conference was incredible. They showed Kingdom Hearts 3. For five to six years straight, everybody lost their shit in a row. I can't believe it's actually coming out. It's unbelievable. They are actually getting their ducks in a row. Thank Christ. God. You know, it's unbelievable, especially with them hemorrhaging money. Although apparently a lot of the loss of that money is due to the Luminous Studio founding and all that. I don't know, like a sunken cost. Uh. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Who knows what's going on with that? Final yeah. Fantasy XV. Tabata. There's a whole lot of... Things I mean, they just canceled all the Final Fantasy XV's DLC. Yeah. Except for one pack. So. There's a lot going on there. Pretty interesting stuff, but I'm excited for Kingdom I mean, authentically, I'm excited for Kingdom Hearts fans. I know you guys are a passionate bunch. I just want to let you know that I'm unsettled by your passion. I just, I just don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm just happy that it's, it's going to be out, and I don't have to see any more trailers for it with horrible voice acting. But you're going to get the, the launch trailer and the making of trailer. That's fine. And the, as yeah. long as I know that I'm on the tail end. As, as long as I know that I can see the light. We're almost you there. Know? We're almost there. Only... Two months or so until it's out in all you weird people's hands <laughs> who want to see Triton from the Little Mermaid fighting Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. I think that that's probably something that happens in the game. I can't say for sure. Number six, Shenmue 3 has officially ended its lengthy crowdfunding campaign, netting more than $7 million for more than 80,000 very eager fans. The website shows the exact numbers as, or its website shows the exact numbers as $7,179,510 raised from 81,087 total backers. Shenmue 3 is the long-awaited follow-up to Dreamcast cult favorites Shenmue and Shenmue 2, launched in 1999 and 2001. While Sega published the first two games, Deep Silver, a part of THQ Nordic, is publishing the third game, which was revealed at Sony's press conference at E3 2015. The game currently has a release date of August 27th, 2019. 
I know you, a lot of you guys are excited about that. I'm not excited about it, but I know a lot of you are, and I'm happy for you. That's an insane amount of money from 81,000 people. It's a lot of money, a lot of excitement. People really love Shenmue. Shenmue is in some ways ahead of its time because we talk about walking simulators and like life simulators now, like Gone yeah. Home or whatever, where you're kind of, Shenmue was kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Like 15 years before. So, you know, I'm excited that people are excited. I'm not certainly excited about Shenmue. I think it's boring. But I also haven't played it in a long time. I was maybe too young and too immature to play it at the time. Maybe. Dreamcast only sold like 10 million units. Mm-hmm. I had one of them. And it seems like the way people talk about Dreamcast and Dreamcast games, everyone had a Dreamcast. It's the same thing I always say with Majora's Mask. Now everyone loves Majora's Mask. Hey, I remember. I remember all you people shit-talking it. I people remember all you shit-talking Wind Waker. People were shit-talking Majora's Mask? Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. I don't know. I wasn't time. part of Nintendo at the time, really. I had a PlayStation, and then like I got an N64 in like 2012. You were born in, what, 94? 93. 93? Yeah. So you were seven when Majora's Mask came out. That makes me feel... Very old, because I was a junior in high school, I think. Yeah. And yeah, people were shit-talking Majora's Mask. People were really shit-talking Wind Waker at the time, in 2003, right. 2002. They were calling it Zelda and all that kind oh, of stuff. Weird, Zelda. And now everyone loves it. No, <laughs> now everyone good. loves it. And now a Dreamcast. No one bought a Dreamcast when it was out. I used to go and buy Dreamcast games. They'd have to fucking do like an archaeological dig for them to, to, for them <laughs> to get me what I was looking for. But now everyone loves Dreamcast. But nonetheless, excited for Shenmue fans. Number seven. It looks like, and this is a weird one, Chris, because we were just talking about this. It looks like Square Enix may be revisiting its Parasite Eve horror RPG franchise as the publisher has trademarked the term in Europe, according to website Gamatsu. We were talking about that. That's weird. A trademark doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it does indicate that the dormant IP is on Square Enix's mind. The following, the filing rather, notes an application date of November 22nd, and the trademark itself covers, quote, computer game software, video game software, end quote, and just about everything else imaginable in relation to what the company could do with the series. Just, again, weird, because last episode, episode 21, we were talking about I feel Parasite. like this happens a lot. I feel like we mentioned shit, and then it happens. It's weird. Legacy of Kane. Yeah, hey, please. Crash Team Racing, still. Crash please? Team Racing. Please? I want Shatter back as well, the PSN hit Shatter. Ah, awesome. Classic. Shatter was a really cool brick-breaking game on PS3 that came out in 2009 that had an amazing soundtrack by this DJ named Module. And what was cool about it was that the stages would change, but there were boss fights in brick-breaking games. Like, Oh, yeah. And stuff. It was a really, really great game. And it was made by an Australian or New Zealand team. I think a New Zealand team called She, S-I-D-H-E. They announced the sequel to it. I actually broke the story when they announced the sequel. They announced it to me and then just never released it. So we thank you for that. <laughs> Number eight. The Spiral Reignited trilogy doesn't have subtitles, a peculiar design decision by developer Toys for Bob and publisher Activision. When this was pointed out, a statement was released by Activision as relayed by Kotaku, which read and reads in part, quote, when Toys for Bob set out to make an awesome game collection, there were de- certain decisions, I'm sorry, that needed to be made throughout the process. The team remained committed to keep the integrity and legacy of Spyro that fans remembered intact. The game was built from the ground up using a new engine for the team and was localized in languages that had not been previously attempted by the studio. While there's no industry standard for subtitles, the studio and Activision care about the fans' experience, especially with respect to accessibility for people with different abilities and will evaluate moving forward, end quote. Worth noting that Crash Team, Ra- or Crash Team Racing Crash Collection also didn't have subtitles. Was there any words in that game? I don't know. People say things in that game, right? I think Cortex says something. <laughs> Crash Bandicoot doesn't speak? No, he's just like, whoa! Oh, I didn't know that. Whoa! Is what he sounds like, basically. It's kind of like Mario a little bit. Sounds yeah, like basically. Mario, yeah. <laughs> like what a coincidence. Whoa! It's almost like they, they were competing. It's such a huge coincidence. Hey, by the way, when I beat Spyro, the first one, the credits are the same for all three games, I think. But I noticed that... There were people working on this game from, like, every studio. Sledgehammer is in the... What? Credits. Beanox is in the credits. Uh, A lot of people worked on this. Again, Toys for Bob, I think, was the 
center of development. But I think like almost everyone from some team in Activision's circle were working on this. The credits are extensive. It's kind of interesting. Because I'm looking at it, you know, the one thing we were talking about, Spy- I don't want to talk about Spyro too much more, but it's funny, like after coming off of Red Dead and these other kind of deep games, it's mm. so simple. Everything about it is simple. The design's simple. The- yeah. The aesthetic is simple. The textures are simple. It's very the animation is simple. At, I can't believe how many people needed to be working on this game. But one more piece of news. Website Silicon Era, this is number nine. Website Silicon Era has spotted an ESRB rating for Near Automata Game of the Yorha edition. I don't know what that means, but it's Y-O-R-H-A with everything but the O uppercase. Indicating that an all-in-one version of the popular RPG Near Automata could be released soon. The listing has it slated for launch on PlayStation 4 as well as PC, and will presumably include the game's DLC as well as the core game itself, though there's no information from publisher Square Enix yet available. I played that game for 15 minutes when it came out, and I just didn't like it. I hear it's excellent, but I just couldn't even get over this initial... It's a good game. I didn't play it much because I borrowed it. It was like the only other game on disc that I had. that I bar- And I, it wasn't even mine. <laughs> so, I mean... It's a good game, though. It happens. It happens. I put up a video today on SideQuest, my YouTube channel, about the top 10 RPGs of the last decade for me. This was one that was voted on by the patrons. And I was, well, first of all, I want to point out that Nier Automata was a game where everyone's like, where is Nier Automata? But the other one that people were pointing out was Persona 5. A lot of anger. Oh, yeah. That Persona 5 was not on that list. But people should go watch that video as well if you want to get angry at my top 10 RPGs of the last decade. (laughs) Now, this is when we usually do the drop, but as we said, there is no drop this week. I can tell you that Darksiders 3 is coming out, and I can tell you that Super Life of Pixel, which is like this weird side-scroller I think is coming out, and I'm sure there's other stuff. Blame the PlayStation blog. I have no idea what's coming out. It's their fault. Yeah, it sucks. But at least everybody who hates the drop can have a good podcast, I guess. I know. God damn it. Yeah, you everyone weirdos. that hates this section doesn't have to skip it. Although, I feel bad for people that are releasing games this week because yeah. they just don't have their shout out on the blog at all. They just their games are just getting shit into the ether even more than their games already get shit into the ether by PlayStation. That's great. Peter Mark wrote into us though about this and said, and I take issue with this. <laughs> he called he you said, small he arms. He says, hey small arms and Chris. Now he asks any thoughts on Darksiders 3, which releases on Tuesday. Keep making Tuesday great again. We talked about Darksiders 3. I don't think either of us have any thoughts about it. But what do you mean by that? I have a feminine build. I just don't look You're like not a bulky. Man. No. I have yeah. a lot of weight, kind of like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an oval. You could bulk up. Oh, I could. I think up. you could bulk up. So I I take issue with this, Peter, because when you call me small arms, I think you're referring to this, <laughs> but it makes me feel like you're ta- calling me a T-Rex. <laughs> like I have T-Rex arms. I like the word, I don't like that small arms as a name is so Yeah, it's, it's, you capitalize it. Hey, it's small like, arms. It's like, like a baby noun. legs or something. <laughs> Peter Mark, you son of a bitch. All right. I've uh, taken some of the reader mail here to end the podcast with. Yeah. And this will be the way we end as opposed to, well, we always end this way, but we don't have any games to make fun of. Yeah, it sucks. It's it's fun. I like reading them. It's fun. It's a little disappointing. It's a little disappointing. Oh, well. Josh James wrote in us and said, hello, fine sirs. How do you feel about the idea of people canceling their PlayStation Classic pre-orders? I've noticed a trend in YouTube videos recently describing this exact act. Is this a case of beggars being choosers or is Sony really dropping the ball here? I'm personally looking forward to picking one up. Congratulations on the continued success with Sacred Symbols and CLS in totality. Thank you so much for your question, Josh. How do you feel about this? This is a weird thing about, like, what is considered dropping the ball when you have so many dropping the balls to compare to. (laughs) Where, like, I would have, before Fallout 76 came out, I would have said, yeah, putting out a classic console for $100 with, like, maybe five integral games on it. That's a weird call. Everything depends on perspective. So, I mean, I think it's weird that people are all of a sudden canceling their pre-orders. What's that about? Is that like a thing? 
I guess so. Are you trying to make a point? I don't know. I, I just don't think that there's that much excitement about this thing at all. I don't think yeah. you need to pre-order it. I don't think you're going to have any tr- trouble finding it. And I think it's too expensive. Yeah, I love I love the original PlayStation. It's, my, it's probably my favorite console of all time. And I would love to have a, a tiny, somehow functioning model of it that plays all my favorite games. And I still can't bring myself to care about it. Yeah, I don't care. If either. that was like 50 bucks, I would have I would have got it in a heartbeat. Yeah, $50 is a lot different from 99 And again... It's about being able to afford it, but even then, it's just about value propositions. Like, I'm not, yeah. no matter what I can afford, I'm not paying for something that I think I can get cheaper or whatever. I just don't feel like there's any excitement about this. You thing. could actually, None. for real, get a pre owned PS3 for $80 and just play so many more PlayStation Classics on that thing than you can on the PlayStation Classic for more money. So, why would you, why would you do that? I just think they, they kind of missed the opportunity to either make this thing expandable in some way by yeah. like selling cards with games on them or making it access some sort of. PlayStation Store, like yeah, exclusively some, for PlayStation Classics. Exactly. Would have been like, sick. It would have been awesome. Not $100 for that. Even if it came with no games where you're just like, this is, a, or it came preloaded with Metal Gear Solid and a few games, and you're like, this is a way for you to just play these games. I, I think that would Yeah, why really not just easy. have it connected to the PS3's library of PlayStation Classics? It's weird. It's, yeah. it's super odd. I just can't get a PS. Get a PS3 if yeah. you want to yeah, play PlayStation Classics, honestly. I was trying to get one, actually. I went out on Saturday to a GameStop. Because they actually do still sell them. But I guess for Black Friday, they took all the old stuff out to replace them with new stuff that's actually selling. They sell new PS3s or like... Well, I mean, it's obviously like refurbished and, and stuff like I that. I just wonder if they... I think they stopped manufacturing them only recently. So you might be able to still find a new one if you want. Maybe. I, I don't care that much about it. They're cheap enough as it is, you know. Use. Yeah. You can get no, them that's so true. cheap. PS3 is great too. It's a great console. Yeah. You have to update it and deal with it but other than once you start playing games on it then it's yeah that's the yeah it's gonna be good yeah i don't know i would really be interested to see the pre-order numbers of this i remember when and again it's a different it's apples and oranges in a way but i remember when nintendo classic nes classic specifically was announced and there was like such palpable excitement about it and they were impossible to find and people were scalping them and people wanted the famicom one too and with this i'm like i don't think anyone gives a shit i just don't know that i'm a huge playstation fan and Sony hasn't reached out to us about this. Sony often, you know, they send us things without us asking sometimes, like codes for Spider-Man DLC and stuff. No one's reached out and tried to send us anything about this, you know? Yeah, but I, I don't know. They listen to this show. So maybe it's because they know that we don't care, so they don't want to send us one. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, I mean, probably, actually, yeah. for real. I don't know. I don't know who's getting it. I don't know. I, it's annoying because I, I want, like, a tiny PlayStation. I think it's so cute. Fuck. It is cute. It also comes out around your birthday. It does. Alas. Andy Villanueva. Ooh. wrote into us and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, recent listener, first time submitting question. Before internet was readily available on our phones, was there ever a game you purchased just based on the title, cover, or description? Mine was Oddworld Stranger's Wrath. Introduced me to the Oddworld franchise, and I haven't looked back since. Thanks for finding the time to read. Keep kicking ass. Do you have any games like this? This was obviously a much bigger thing in the analog magazine days, but yeah, 100%. and especially in the SNES and NES days. But do you have anything that strikes uh, Absolutely. For you here? Like, the one that I remember most is Destroy All Humans. Because that cover was ridiculous, and that name was absurd. And I was super into Aliens at the time. I was like, what is Roswell? <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. It uh, came at a pretty good time. It was fun. It was ridiculous. I think War of the Monsters was another one. It was a, P- it was a PS2 kind of kaiju kind of game. That was a great game, by the way. Underappreciated on the PS2, I think. Because it gets lost among like you know Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank. I think it's honestly super, super good. But I, I remember I read the back of that one, and it said something like, Skewer Lizards! Yes, please. please. That's like a bullet point. I can't remember what the hell. I might be making that up entirely because that memory is so distant. But I remember specifically reading the back of the box and reading something that completely spoke to me. It's funny, dude, because I'll talk about older instances, but I just had this a few weeks ago with the forest. 
Oh, because yeah. I was talking about how excited I was for that game, just seeing like a small trailer and the idea. And I bought it and I played it for like 15 minutes and I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. This is why no one's talking about this. It controls like a bag of smashed assholes, that game. <laughs> it just took controls so badly. I was like, oh, I can't deal with this. So that was my most recent thing. Hopefully, you know, people did a little more research more than I did. But State of Emergency is a PS2 game that I bought based solely on its inclusion in the GTA 3 instruction manual. That game sucks. That was a Rockstar game that was about, oh, yeah. like, basically about riots. It was completely dumb. <laughs> there are a few NES games from back in the day. Deadly Towers by Broderbund was a really good example. My brother bought that game, and we played it, and it's considered one of the worst NES games, and there's, like, 850 NES games. But some of the coolest box art. Yeah. You know, and box art sometimes matched the game. Castlevania's box art was awesome. Dragon Quest box art, Dragon Warrior's box art was awesome. So I use those as some examples, but... The other way to look at it is the underwhelming box art that had behind it a really great game. You know? Oh, yeah. I like, often like to think about that, too. Like what? What, what comes to mind when you think of that? For me, I mean, what, it's funny because we just did an episode of Knockback, my retro and nostalgia podcast about this. But Link to the Past is a really great example of this on SNES. Yeah. It's super boring like because it's just kind of like a, an off gold with the logo on it and nothing else on it as opposed to... The NES packaging, which was similar, but it was new at the time. And then Zelda 2s had this little thing cut out where you can, like, see the cartridge on the inside and stuff. And it was, I don't know, it just was more exciting. I like that period of time when we had, like, reversible covers going on. Like, Skyrim had a reversible mm-hmm. cover and it was beautiful. Bioshock Infinite had a great one. Where it was, like, this red, kind of, like, almost, like, Chinese dragon-looking thing. It was awesome. It was way better than just, like, Booker with a shotgun slung over his shoulder. Definitely. Um, yeah the reversible cover thing is very cool it's funny man because i think and you can relate to this in a way but not as much as i can and not even as much as older listeners can that there was a time when you had no idea what the fuck you were getting like you ultimately had no idea what you were oh yeah and there was no online review there was a little blurb we didn't even know i've said this before but i i'm so fascinated by the fact that we like looked at nintendo power like a bible when i was a kid not knowing that nintendo owned it i'm telling you no one knew that nintendo owned that magazine when i was a kid (laughs) And they were just telling you whatever they wanted to tell you. And Man, I had no idea what I was getting until, like, 2011 still. Like, I, I was still pretty late to, like, all this. And I remember when, like, the postage size, postage stamp size videos would start streaming in the late 90s. And you could see a little something and download things overnight to get gameplay and stuff. It's just changed. It's so radically different. Like, Fallout 76, it wouldn't be possible in those analog days because of the nature of the game. But imagine a game that bad or that divisive where you really had no idea. You just had no idea that you were getting like a mess. You knew it was a Fallout game. (laughs) It's like when I bought Mega Man Soccer on Super Nintendo. (laughs) What a a huge, yeah, what a huge mistake that was. Just a gigantic mistake. That was like when I got Dragon Ball Z Sagas. That was a horrendous, horrendous game. It's a PS2 Xbox original game. Yeah. I can't say, I can't even say Xbox One. No. I know that sucks. It's annoying. I can't wait to see what they name the next Xbox to annoy me even more. Yeah. They'll name it like Xbox Two or something. And that's really I think that, I was talking with my roommates about that. That'd be hilarious. That sucks because they, they really hit the nail with 360. 360 is such a good name. And they were just like, uh, I think they should have just named it Xbox. This is like the Grinch. That Grinch movie that's coming out. Oh, yeah. It's disturbing. I swear to God. No, because like it's called the Grinch. Yeah. But I swear to God, this, I'm going off on a, tra- a tangent here, but it's Please. important. There is a Grinch movie that came out back in the day with uh, Jim Carrey as mm-hmm. the Grinch. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, that movie was called Just the Grinch. But now it's on Netflix as How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Hmm. And how the and how Stole Christmas is in new text. I don't remember it ever being there. People are like, no, nah, it was always called that. Now I'm having like a Mandela effect thing where I swear to God, there's a PS1 game based on the movie that does not have 
the how stole Christmas on it. So I'm lost here. You I'm scared. Get, I'm Did they change the name of the old one to make room for the new one? I don't know. I'm having a panic attack. I can see that. I insist that you get to the bottom of this and report back on Sacred Symbols. I felt that this podcast. was important. <laughs> I mean, it's more important than half of the news that was happening today. I mean, I'll give you that much. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that was important. <laughs> now, it's interesting, though, because I'm seeing commercials. I saw a Honda commercial that was somehow tied into this Grinch movie where the Honda commercial was very peculiar because it was the Grinch going around being like, there are no deals. There are no cars to buy. And then it was just like a Honda. And I'm like, what is I don't know that that's like really a positive way. That seems better for the Grinch movie than it is for your dealership. You're ba- it was basically saying like there are no Black Friday deals. There are no that's like, OK, that's I guess you don't want to sell any cars. Yeah, that's weird. A little bit bizarre. I don't know who gave you that idea. Thomas Mack wrote into us, who may or may not be related to Alex Mack from The Secret World of Alex Mack. Do you remember that show? No. What? The you don't Secret remember the World se- of Alex Mack? The Secret World of Alex Mack was a Nickelodeon show in the 90s. Right. Starring Alyssa. What's her name? Alyssa Olenek or whatever. Do you know who I'm talking about? I know that name. She's in Mad Men. Like, as a bit was character. that like Are You Afraid of the Dark era? Yeah, kind of in there. And it was about a girl, like a teenage girl, who had some sort of – she lived in, like, California, and she, like, snuck into a lab one day and got this secret power to, like, kind of morph into this metallic substance that lets her I don't like. Of, I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that. That sounds like one of, the, one of those early uh, Gushers commercials or, like, one of those you know, like Capri Sun commercials where everybody would, like, melt into, like, that Terminator ooze. Yes. It, it, I don't like that. Pretty similar. Yeah. The Secret World of Alex Mack. That was a show that existed. What's good, Colin and Chris? A lot of talk last week about PS5 and its launch, but not a lot about the launch titles. Assuming PS5 is launched February 2020, nearly... Well, I don't know why you're assuming that, but nearly all of the big... You mean, like, revealed, maybe? Well, no, I think it'll be... Yeah, yeah, I think that's what you're saying is revealed, because I think it'll be launched in the fall of 2020. Nearly all of the big North American and European first parties are busy or will have just released big games in 2019 or 2018. Naughty Dog with The Last of Us 2 and Q1, Q2 2019. I think you're being a little ambitious with that. Maybe Q2. Ben Studio with Days Gone. Sucker Punch with Ghost of Tsushima. And he used GOT, and I'm like, that's Game of Thrones in my mind. And Media Molecule with Dreams. The only first party studios that come to mind is Guerrilla Games and perhaps Santa Monica. Love to know your thoughts. Have a great day. This is true. Now, they're going to need to structure their first parties in such a way that they're going to be ready to go. I think it's fair to say that Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, Bend, and Media Molecule will not be ready to go. I think Gorilla is going to be ready to go. I think Gorilla will be ready to go with a Killzone game. I think that's kind of the theory I'm going to be riding hard as we move towards 2020, and we'll find out if that's true or not. I think the big one that you're missing is Polyphony with Gran Turismo. I think it's entirely possible that there's a launch Gran Turismo game. Forza is becoming so important to Xbox, and they release it annually with two different studios that I think that Sony's realizing that Gran Turismo is simply not Gran Turismo anymore. No one looks at Gran Turismo as the pinnacle or premier racing series anymore, simulation racing series. So I think that they can possibly be ready to go. Studio Japan could be ready to go with something. They have a lot of different teams marinating there. And then there are teams like Sony London that could be ready. But I think what we're looking at is probably second-party acquisitions as well, and also an eagerness, a traditional eagerness for third parties to get on the console. So remember, there were only two first-party games of any consequence on PS4 at launch, and for a long time, actually, Killzone, Shadowfall, and Knack. And so <laughs> yeah. you had Resogun, which was published by Sony, but was developed as a second-party game by Housemark. You might have a similar situation, and I'll remind you that it doesn't really matter what launches on the console. The games that manage to launch on a console sell extraordinarily well universally, and Sony's going to not have its problems getting talented third parties on board to support their console, whether in an exclusive or multi-platform way, especially depending on how Xbox launches as well. So I don't think it's a huge problem, but I agree with you that because of the nature of this, 
the big guns, Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, etc., are not going to be ready to go until midway through the generation. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's plausible that uh, Santa Monica might, because the engine for God of War is already in place. They've talked about how much they've already written out for it. It's it's plausible, possibly, that they might That would be big. Some. God of War 2 as a launch game would be huge. That would be huge. It's just out of the realm. I, I'm not confident in saying that it wouldn't happen, but I also, like, doubt it, because it is. it does feel a bit too soon. Don't feel about, or forget about Insomniac. I mean, Spider-Man is going to get a sequel for sure that can come out we might get a ratchet and clank game we might get something else so yeah there's second parties that are going to marinate in that space as well and there's time there's there's if if it comes out in the fall there's two years yeah it would be nice to have like a really like incredible launch title because i feel like it's been a long time since a console has had an incredible launch title maybe the switch with the switch launched with zelda yeah that's probably the last one that I could think of. And yeah, before it's, that, it's been quite a while. It's often Nintendo hardware. Like, I would even, I know this is divisive, but I would even look at Wii Sports as being, like, an incredibly powerful pack-in, like, launch game. I mean, in fall 2006, that was, like, the zeitgeist, right? Yeah. But then you look at Super Mario World and Super Mario Brothers and Mario 64 and all these games. It just seems like Nintendo often hits, like, if you look at the PS2 launch library, which I remember very well, uh, it was horrible. There was a lot of games, but, like, the big ones were, like, Smugglers Run and Summoner and shit. There was terrible fucking games available. And PS3 had Resistance, which was good, and MotorStorm in that window. But you know, PS4 had yeah Killzone and Knack. I remember PS4's launch library so well because I had the PS4 early and I played so many of those games that I probably would have never played. You know, like, yeah, yeah. If there was anything else, to play. yeah, like Super Motherload. I remember was one of those games which was fine. It was like a kind of a puzzle game where you dig into the earth and like yeah. acquire minerals and stuff. And I liked it, but I'm like, I probably would have never played this if this <laughs> wasn't a launch game. But there was such an appetite for launch coverage, you know, for anything that was available. My one fear though, Chris, is that with 25, 30 games coming to PSN a week, my only hope is that they don't let a bunch of games come to PS5 immediately that they like, or like, we're going to release 10 games in the first two weeks on this thing or something. I think that that would be really cool. Like 10, let these 10 or 15 games shine, you know, reward them for being good as opposed to, you know, fucking around. <laughs> And release because you know they're going to do something crazy. Yeah, I know. I'm waiting for something ridiculous. I can't wait. I love that we're doing the show now because we're doing it, you know, towards the tail third of the PS4, you know, library and tail of its life cycle. But we're going to have so much fun with yeah. the PS5, dude. It's going to be fun. We're going to have so much fun with that, with the the rumors and the first time that the controller leaks and I'm the excited. first time that the dev kit leaks and the fir- that all happens. It's all going to happen. Yeah. And then obviously the announcement, which hopefully we would probably go to and all that. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. With I that. hope that we get the boomerang again. Oh, you want the boomerang? Yeah. Control? Even though it looks completely ergonomically not sound at I all. Hate, I, I remember when they showed that thing I was in college. And I was like, oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> Those things are floating around. I don't know that anyone that I know has played with it because they were behind glass at E3 that There's year. There's no way those things were tested. Yeah, I, I just know. don't believe like uh, looking at them. I was just like, you had to hold them like. Like, like, almost like a, like you were a gremlin, gremlin hugging a steering wheel. The thing about it to me, Chris, that it looks like to me is it looks like a controller from some sort of company that doesn't understand video games. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, like... Like something you'd see, like, drawn in the background of, like, a, of a, of some kind of cartoon. Right, or one of those discount things you see at Walgreens, like the 25-in-one video game consoles with some janky-ass controller. That's what it looked like to me. And because they didn't have anything planned, I mean, that's why the PS3's controller is a DualShock mold, because they were not ready because people hated that controller so much. And if you remember, the original PS3 controller was called Six Axis, and it was empty. It didn't even have rumble. Yeah. And you could, like, bend it. There was nothing in it. I didn't get a PS3 until, like, 2011. There was nothing in it. I broke a controller 
at playing Heavenly Sword by smashing it on my desk. You know, like I didn't shatter it, but it fucked something up inside the controller. And it wasn't until they added the DualShock 3 and added some meat into that thing that it had heft. People don't, I don't know if a lot of people remember this. The, the original PS3 controllers were like not heavy at all. They, they were, were light. like feathers. I remember I played at a Ridiculous. friend of mine's house and it, it, it was really off-putting to me how, how light it was. But I remember playing early games, writing guides for them and like getting mad because I get mad at games and like You're just putting a little and, bit of like, pressure, bending the, like you like it wouldn't break. Like you didn't like you could feel it giving, you know, like, yeah, I was like, oh, this isn't right at all. This isn't right at all. James Olson wrote in us and said, greetings, CNC. First time writer, I'll keep it brief. Do you think early access for pre-ordering single-player games can hurt the game more than help? Shadow of the Tomb Raider was available early if you purchased a specific edition, and it's possible the early opinions of the game might have dissuaded those on the fence. Perhaps not. Just a thought. So what do you think about... I don't think, Chris, that this really matters because there are demos. Yeah. I think they're just kind of the new new way of doing demos. I don't really think that much about it. I don't think it really hurts or, hurts, uh, or helps to be perfectly honest i agree with you and i have and anything i actually think it helps because people just want to play early like this whole promise of playing a game three days early five days early yeah. a week early that's exciting to people that don't have access to games early i you know you're a little newer to this world i'm kind of been in it for a while and i think i take it for granted sometimes of just getting games before anyone else does and playing them and that's just kind of normal for a person a consumer who's just like video game fan and a video game you know advocate or whatever they don't get that opportunity very often. So even if they don't like Tomb Raider, they still gave their money was still spent. And I don't know that they're necessarily taste making enough that that really matters. So I actually think it probably helps. That's my opinion. Stephen Ballard wrote into us and said, do you think Days Gone will get another delay? And do you think that game is in trouble? There's no way it's getting delayed again. I would be shocked because that would put it in a really bad place. It would at that point compete with probably what Ghost of Tsushima, right? Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima will be a little later. I mean, we're getting closer to the last. But if they're going to push it, they oh, oh they, they can only they yeah. can only push it into summer, which is I believe I still believe Last of Us territory, or fall, which is presumably Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima. Presumably Ghost of Tsushima. So I mean, that's not getting delayed. We're no. gonna we're gonna get something. And I don't think that it was delayed. I mean, they kind of tacitly said this in their delay post, but. I don't think it was delayed because the game wasn't ready. They were delaying it to get it out of there. And so I don't know that they were looking at the calendar, pushing it two months, giving Bend a little bit more time, but then saying, oh, let's push it again. It's not ready. I think it would have been ready to go in February. I just don't think they would have been. I think they made the right decision to push that game out of the way. And so, no, I don't think it's going to get delayed again. I think you will play Days Gone in April, and I think it's going to be good. And by the way, the new kind, you know, PlayStation does these commercials. Again, I'm seeing them during football. You know, they do the commercials that are kind of the mashups that are really cool, like the high production real life destiny and real life FIFA yeah. and, and they had days gone in like real life. It was cool. Like a guy really riding a motorcycle with like the zombies chasing him as part of the montage. That's cool. Which I was like, that's cool. At least they're giving a little love. Yeah. You know? It's for most people out there. They have no idea what that is. I'm really, they're looking it up. People are Googling PS4 motorcycle game. I bet now because of that. So yeah, no, definitely pretty smart. Tom Hawkins wrote in, I have here in parentheses in our notes, Chris Connor R because Connor also wrote in a similar kind of, antithetical note that took the other side of this argument, but I wanted to read this. He said, hi friends. I found this podcast and Colin through Chris some months ago. Thanks Chris. And I've enjoyed it since thought it was about time. I paid my bid. Thank you. You've mentioned a fair bit about how you think it would make a lot of sense for games to actually be more expensive to buy on release. I don't disagree, especially when you point out just how games have been 50 pounds or $60, but I'm curious how well you think it would go down with the average consumer if games were to increase in price. I think how much different some things should cost and how much your average Joe thinks something should cost are, are, and they're two different things. I'm not sure what I think, so I'm interested in your thoughts. Thanks for the great content. Thank you for your letter and your support, Tom. What do you think of this? Because there certainly will be a pushback. Well, my hope, Chris, is that the game consumer is wise enough to know that this is a necessary step. I don't know if they're wise enough to know that 
But we have been paying $60 for games for a long time. And if you under, understand anything about fiat money and economics and inflation and the cost of development, you have to know that that money does not cover the cost anymore the way it used to. I feel like we have been paying more money now. And we're just not really realizing it. I think when you buy a game for $60 now, you're not really buying the base game so much as you're buying the foundational experience, I think. Because there's so many editions now where it's like, hey, here's uh, the $80 edition that comes with all this stuff that's locked off to you unless you buy it, you know? And it's like, what is that if not the rest of the content? You know what I mean? So I feel like in a way we have kind of already slowly been acclimating towards that idea of like a higher price i just think what what's happening or this transitionary period is the game is still 60 dollars, but it's more so like not renting necessarily but it's it's almost kind of like this slice it's a pretty hefty slice and you get pretty much everything that you would want but there's more there i think that's the price that they're thinking about selling the game at really and i think that's what a lot of people end up buying because people just don't want to deal with ah i gotta what i don't i don't have the special what is it i don't have the dlc because i didn't pay an extra 20 bucks you know what i mean even though it's done like the spider-man dlc is done guys come on like it's it's done the entire situation is interesting to me because what's going to require what is going to be required chris is for someone to do it first and that's the thing that you know i'm interested in now there is an organization that kind of governs a lot of this stuff and everyone kind of agrees in ways to charge the same amount of money for their games and all that at retail but someone's going to go first and I wonder, you know, it'd be. I think it would be illegal for them to collude in such a way to say like, well, just they all get together in a room or like we should all just go first. We should just all go at the same time with the next generation. But I really do believe that this is the last. I don't think they're going to do it this generation. But I don't want to spoil a Red Dead. We did a Red Dead Redemption two spoiler cast, by the way. You guys can go listen to that when you're ready. Do not listen to it if you don't want spoilers. But it is shocking that the, a portion of that game wasn't just made as DLC. It's so fucking huge that there are really great stories on the other end of it where it's like, wow, well, you know, for all of the bullshit that we deal with, there are publishers and developers out there that are doing the exact opposite. So hopefully it balances out in some sort of optical way like that. But, you know, $60 is not going to cover the expectations of what people have. And we need to explore that price point moving up and down. Like you said, Fallout 76 shouldn't have been a $60 game. No, 100%. So let's go down. Let's make games cheaper, too. We can do that. But... Cyberpunk? I'm willing to bet that that's probably going to be the first one. And I think the jump's going to be to $69.99. I know you think the jump's going to be to $79.99. I'll be interested to see how that turns out as yeah. well. You know, We're going to need to see. Either we're going to need to lower our expectations <laughs> about what games can do and how much they cost to make, <laughs> or we're going to have to pay more for them. I mean, that's just the reality. And the beauty of this situation is not it's not 10 years ago. It's not 15 years ago. You can go buy a dollar game on PS4. You can play free-to-play games. You can play $5, $10, $15, $20. There are all sorts of games for you. Yeah, there's constant sales. There's like PS Plus, Xbox Live. Oh, I'm gonna, right after we game record, pass. I have to go to the doctor after this. But after I get back, because I think the Black Friday sale ends tonight, I'm going to go buy like a couple hundred dollars worth of shit just to have it in my library because it's so much cheaper. So, yeah, I get it. I don't want to spend, you know, maximum amounts of money either. But, you know, we have to be realistic. Andrew McMahon wrote into us and said, hey, guys, this question is mainly for Colin. You're still great, Chris, he says in parentheses. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Spider-Man was my first Platinum. It was also Chris's first Platinum. Yeah. And it was amazing. Wondering if there are any games you could recommend to add to that. So any games with no skippable trophies. Thanks for all the amazing shows and work you both do. You can have my firstborn to sacrifice. Now, there are cheap games that I refuse to play because they give you easy Platinums. I just refuse to play them. I think it's corny to get those Platinum trophies. I think it's corny to pad your Platinum trophy count with that shit. I used to do that a few years ago when it was way less prevalent, but I don't do that anymore. So I'm not going to recommend you those games. The Walking Dead, 
the first season, I think the second season too, but the first season has unavoidable platinum trophy. If you beat the game, you get the platinum trophy. So there you go. Go yeah. get it. I don't know enough about any of that. There aren't that many. Like yeah. That. Like that's a game where you literally cannot miss it. If you just play the game however you want and beat it, you'll get the platinum trophy. It's, it's inevitable. It's, it's, excuse me, I have the hiccups. Whoa. Are you sick? Weird. What are you, a human? Smacking my chest. Trying to get rid of it. There we go. It's gone. Ron Temsky wrote in and said, hey guys, loving the show. With all the talk around the game of the year right now, I wonder if there's ever been a nominee that you ever really despised. I don't mean where you thought Horizon was better than Zelda. I think so too. But where you thought one of the contenders was mostly garbage and not worth a 5 out of 10, let alone game of the year. Celeste is that game for me. I think it's terrible. And IGN and others gave it a 10. That's crazy, Thanks. dude. So- That's insane. Get Celeste- on the goddamn mic. I know. Celeste is so good. <laughs> Celeste is a good game. It is. That's, that's crazy. Well, that's... All right, so Chris and I were talking about, and I think we discussed this at the top of the show. I'm, I'm so out of my mind, I don't even remember what we said at the top of the show, but we were originally going to record our Game of the Year episode like in the middle of December, and we're going to record that, like I said, in January instead and put that out then. And that's one of the games I'm trying to slip in there because I only played Celeste for a few hours, and I really liked it, but I moved on to other things. So I don't see how Celeste... I don't think Celeste is going to be Game of the Year, but it's very... I like the music, That's what I, which is weird because I usually... Don't care a great deal about that anymore. But yeah, that's a weird example for me. But yeah, there are games that I don't understand. You know what a game honestly is that I really didn't like very much, but it's because my mind, my feeble mind can't wrap itself what? around it, is, is Portal. What? What? That game infuriated the shit out of me. What? infuriated me. I'm like, I fucking hate this game. I hate it. Have I you ever beat it? No. I, actually, my friend Mark Ryan, who still works at IGN, he's like a higher up there now. I was talking shit about it, and I sat at his desk, and he's like, see how far you can get without using any help, and I got like... Ten minutes into the game, like, I don't know what to do. I oh my god, it. it's such a good game. I can't That's do. so good. That's crazy to me. Holy shit! Come at me, haters. Oh my god! Wow. Let's do two more questions, Chris. All right. Yeah, let's <laughs> James Nunez wrote in us and said, "Howdy, Mr. Raygun and Senor Moriarty." Now you're uh, Hispanic, Chris. Did I say that right, Senor, Senor Moriarty? Yeah. Okay, Senor Moriarty, because it has a little tilde. The, the, yeah, the tilde over the end. That's a nye. Nye. I took French. That's more like I, I pronounce that more Russian. For some reason. Yeah, yeah, nyet. Nyet. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you think God of War can compete with Red Dead Redemption 2 in the Video Game Awards if it's decided by majority vote? So I think he's talking about the Video Game Awards that Jack Keighley are doing. Unfortunately, I'm going to be gone during the Game Awards, so we're going to not have... I, I don't... The Game Awards are fun. I'm glad people enjoy them. I'm not really into it. So I don't think we really need to announce the winners here and stuff like that, but yeah. we won't be able to do an episode about it. But if it's decided by majority vote, you have to assume Red Dead Redemption 2 is still going to win. Red Dead Redemption 2 is the second best-selling game of the year. God of War is number six. And it's also multi-platform. Yes. So Great point. That's a pretty good uh, asset to have. I would definitely vote in that way. You would vote for God of War over Red Dead? Red Dead. Oh, you'd vote, vote for Red, Red Dead. Dead. Yeah. I think Red Dead is probably my game of the year. I don't know. I want I want to be contrarian. And I love God of War. Like It's fantastic. I had nothing but fun playing it. I like saying things that are totally out of left field, so I'd love to stick with the yeah, like you, you, like, Yeah, like you can't stand Portal. Like I can't stand it's, Portal, yeah. It's mind-boggling. Can't stand it. Jesus. Final question comes from William Harding, who says, Hey, Colin and Chris, what do you guys think of where PSVR is at currently in its life cycle? Mine collected dust for months and then suddenly had a resurgence in use with Tetris Effect and Astrobot. I saw Colin was recently saying how much he enjoyed Moss. While many didn't like it, I seriously enjoyed Doom VFR with the aim controller. This is usually the time of year when Sony would give us something to expect for PSVR. Without PSX, things sure seem like they'll be pretty quiet for the next few months. And he says, in the voice, thanks, punkheads. Now, this is a reference that I need to bring you into, Chris. Yes. When I was a young man, I grew up across the street from my friend Brian. And Brian had a stepdad. And we would sit, uh, we would be out on the street playing basketball or doing something, all, all the kids on the neighborhood. 
And he, this, for some reason, this man would refer to us exclusively as punk heads. I don't like that at all. And so he would be like, what's going on, punk head? What's going on with these punk heads? Ew. Yeah, ew. like that's how you talk. He'd be like, I'm going, what you guys doing, punk heads? That's, that's how you so talk. That's so much worse yeah. than just reading it. Yeah, punk. So he would call us punk head. He'd be like, oh, you, what you doing over there, punk head? I don't think he ever said my name once. I don't. Uh, he probably didn't even know my name. Punk heads. I only lived there for you know fifteen years. So that's it. That's hideous. That's a hideous voice. So what do you think about PSVR? I actually think that Sony is going to continue to support it. I'm impressed that Sony is continuing to publish games on it. Astrobot is supposed to be excellent. That's another one of those games that I really want to play. Well, there's From Software too. Yeah, Derisene Der- just came out. That Sony and. You know, it's interesting. I think we talked about this, but some people think that that's a Bloodborne Two teaser, which I am super fascinated. About. I mean, that'd be that'd be it cool wouldn't as be hell. it wouldn't necessarily be out of character for Sony to do something like that. Hopefully, cool. hopefully, we get a Bloodborne Two on like uh, another teaser that we got. Yeah, that well, didn't amount to anything. Well, it would be nice for them to acknowledge that you know Bloodborne was huge for their console. That could be another launch game for PS Five. Yeah, I could see that. So, I could easily see that. It's interesting to, to kind of go into that, but I'm impressed that they continue to dump money into this. I know it hit a recent milestone, I think 2 million sold, something like that, which is not incredible, but it's better, way better than the other VR units. And, you know, I think that they are all in on it. I think that you can see it in my living room. It's a fucking mess. Setting yeah. that thing up is a goddamn mess. <laughs> There's no elegant way to do it. You can't make a box, like a, an accompanying box that has cords coming out of both ends. They can barely do it on PC, and that's, like, pretty high-end tech. I think the next Vive is supposed to be wireless, which is supposed to be pretty insane. But we'll see. I, I'm interested how PS5 deals with it. If yeah. they make a new one or if this one works with the old one, which it probably will. But I think that what's going to happen is PS5 is going to support PSVR, but it's also going to be – or there will also be a second VR unit that's going to be released <laughs> that will be more powerful – because I'm so surprised. It's been a while since I played it. When I played Moss, for instance, it's beautiful, but it's so low resolution. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, it almost doesn't look like it's fitting right, but I'm like, no, this is the way it looks. You know, it's, it's rendering it twice in 60 frames. And so it's running the game at 120 frames at this low resolution. It has this little processing box. So I think the PS5 will get rid of the processing box, make it a little cleaner. And I think they're going to continue to support it. And I do think that VR is part of the future. I do. I believe. Yeah, that. no, I think so, too. Do you think they're going to do like a N64 thing where they're going to snap something on the back of the uh, they're going to snap something on the back of the PSVR to make it stronger? <laughs> like an expansion pack? <laughs> yeah. No, that's the shitty <laughs> thing. Be hilarious. It's, it is going to be a tall order for, to ask people to buy it again. But I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about the technology. People can write in, but I don't know enough about the technology if, it, if the headset itself is OK and what they need to fuck with is the processing box. In other words, like if you can process 4K at 120 frames, would it be able to play in that headset? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if the headset itself is limited. It would have to be pretty future-proof. It would have to have a screen that supports 4K, theoretically. Right. So I, I think that they have to... They have to get people to buy new ones, yeah. which is a pretty tall order because I know... I'm not getting a new one anytime soon. Like not probably in the next 20 years. <laughs> like I can't imagine bothering getting a new one unless there's some crazy crazy advancement right 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 well we'll see teach his own yeah chris that's all i have for this yeah it was a good episode again a kind of a slow week but we obviously are never going to miss a week like we said at the top of the show so even if there's not much to talk about we will still find something to talk about remember you can support the show on patreon patreon.com slash collins last stand to get every episode three days early and without ads doing so allows us to continue to the show i can pay chris's luxurious lifestyle as well (laughs) by you supporting us on patreon and remember, the only way to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show to be read on the air is through Patreon as well. Exclusive podcasts are over there. I'm going to do another one of the Long Lost Writers Letters podcasts that I did last month, which is me going through the letters that we, you know, because we got 100 submissions or more for every episode. I'm only able to use a fraction of them. So I'm going to go back through for the last few weeks and pull the good questions that I was not able to read. And that's going to be the exclusive for this month. So go enjoy that as well. 
if you guys can. And uh, appreciate you guys otherwise. Chris, any closing comments before we go? No, I'm tired and hungry. Yeah, me too. So I'm going to go home and cook. Oh, what are you going to cook? Uh, this is probably still chicken. Uh, well, that's <laughs> fair enough. Chicken is always, it's a universal. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for accommodating my schedule today. By the way, Chris came over an hour earlier or so today. So I can. Yeah, no, uh, it's fine. I got to go to the doctor. So we'll see you guys next week for more Sacred Symbols. We appreciate you. Thank you for your support, your love. Remember to leave us nice reviews on free feeds. Share us with your friends. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Sean Battershall, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancado, William O'Carroll, Matthew Carter, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanicos, Travis DePew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantas. Fotios Frangos, Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Nathan J. Henry, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Zan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kitredge, Taylor Christian Laudrin, Christian Larson, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Anthony Lencioni, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Jonah Newman, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Matthew Savoy, Hans Schierenberger, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tallman, Gabble Toombs, Tam Tran, Dan Vale, Adam Van Curen, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dade Michael Edward Went, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Random Guy Radio, Mad Mock Media, Casual Misfits Gaming, Super Shot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Barrick, Mubarak, Richter 86, Dav9834, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.